There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with Oakley and she teaches. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let that person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I get in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like outing. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P. DJ Coogan. I said yesterday, I meant it, talking about Cheltenham, talking about to Pat, about the, the build-up at Cheltenham, and the first day was yesterday, and I did had the telly on and was kind of half-watching it, and I meant what I said, I, I know little or nothing about the, the grand old sport of horse racing, certainly not enough to throw any money down on it at any stage, but you can only but be happy for the team behind that wonderful horse Honeysuckle and it's all over the newspapers this morning I was watching the race or sorry listening to it on the radio actually I was driving at the time when the race was on and listened to the commentary and I was rooting for Honeysuckle even though I had no money down I know little or nothing about the horse other the connection than the connection to the De Bromheads and remember talking about it last year and trying to get your head around how awful a tragedy it was for the de Bromhead family young Jack, a talented young rider he was only 13, injured killed actually in an accident while he was racing uh, and you, an unspeakable tragedy, tragedy to befall any family and the son has the front page Jack was watching down Rachel Blackmore paying a tribute to Henry Bromhead's son Jack after she rode Honeysuckle to victory at Cheltenham. Not only was it such an important victory, such an emotional victory, it was to be Honeysuckle's finest ra- final final race. So such a such a it's it, 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 I, I guess it is the kind of story that comes out of Cheltenham. It's all over your newspapers this morning. 0818969696. They talk about March of many weathers. Look out at that now this morning compared to yesterday. It really is desperate. <laughs> Aren't we lucky? Aren't we delighted that they managed to get that road closure cancelled and that traffic up and running again? And we're hearing that it's grand again this morning. Nothing other than the usual, which is good to hear because people were sitting in their traffic or sitting in their cars in traffic for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and hours yesterday morning. 
Two other matters. Joe Shea joins me, editor at Cork Bio. What's happening, Joe? People have been walking in to the library, picking up books and damaging them and verbally abusing staff because of the nature of the books. Morning to you. Good morning. Uh, yeah, well, basically what we know about this story, and we reported it yesterday in Corpio, is uh, Cork uh, City Council has had to issue a statement saying that they will not be removing certain books from the library. Now, this is after a several incidents where a, a small group of people have gone into the library and have started basically you'd have to say, I've seen the videos, they live stream these videos, by the way, they've started harassing um, library staff about books in the LGBTQ, um, you know, the gay community, books that that cater for those, but also a particular book that that is basically aimed at young adults. Uh, It's called This Book is Gay. It's by an author called Juno Dawson. Mm -hmm. And they have a problem with this. Now, this is part of a kind of a, a series of similar incidents that have been going on in libraries across the country. But this group have, been, have gone in several times into the book, into the library, uh, Central Library on the Grand Parade. And they're very abusive to staff. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's, that, that's the, the, the basis of the story. Now, what, what is actually going on, right? Why is this happening? This group uh, of people um, that have been live streaming these kind of incidents they are, they've also, in, uh, some of them have been involved in similar incidents in chemists in Cork and at vaccination centres in Cork, right? Where um, staff, in some cases young ladies behind counters in chemists in Cork, have had to face a group of men going on about, uh, you know, Pfizer and vaccinations and, you're, you know, and all this kind of stuff. People, you know, basically working in chemists who are just trying to do their job. Now we're seeing librarians who are trying to do their job and an important job it is being hassled by these guys again. Uh, in some cases, in, in, there's a video up online of a, a book being ripped up in the library. Now, it may be that they brought in their own book and ripped that up to kind of, you know, get around mm. being... Um, in being to get in trouble with the guards. But the guards have been called to the library in Cork several times and they've had to ask the, this group to leave. Yeah, yeah. They also tend to throw the word paedophile around like it was confetti. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? Again, this was the same thing with the vaccinations and now it's this book. And a while ago, there were similar people, and I'm not saying it's the same people, also involved in anti-immigration, right? Including shouting uh, up in um, in Formoy, shouting at women and children arriving into a, to re- a reception centre, right? And, and going on about Ukrainians and everything's the Ukrainians' fault. You know, why are these refugees? Ireland is full crowd, right? Mm. Now, one could make the argument that this is not about a book in a library. Because what this is about is people who just get off on shouting and abusing people, who haven't the intelligence to organise an actual campaign. Because if you have a problem with a book, and, and there's definitely an argument to be made, or an argument to be had, or a debate to be had, about certain books mm. uh, aimed at, at young people, and if they're appropriate. But if you have a problem with that, you get onto your councillor and you get onto Cork City uh, Council and you get onto the, the head librarian for Cork City and for Cork County Council. Yeah. And you organise and you campaign and you make a point. that You're t- totally entitled to do that. Yes. But what we seem to have here is people who like 
to shout at, as people on, you know, ordinary working people help, uh, helping the public on regular wage behind a counter in a chemist or in a library. And it's almost as if they do that because they know that the person behind the counter has to put up with their idiocy, mm-hmm. has to stand there and take it. Be, uh, because they can't, because that's their job. It's as if they can't, they don't have the intelligence or the moral courage to actually tr- do something effective, which would be to organize and make a point to people who can actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into a, a library in Cork City and shout at the librarian, take that book down off the off the shelf, they can't do that. They don't have the power to do that. It's absolutely pointless. Yeah. What it is, is aggressive shouting at people who, you know, <laughs> it's way above their pay grade in actually, you know, making a change, taking books off shelves. One or two of the videos I've seen, Joe, yeah. all it really is is a loudmouth trying to make a name for themselves yeah. by targeting it's, it's vulnerable despicable. people at work. Yeah, it's despicable. It's just, And you're right, they throw around, everybody's a paedophile, everybody's a groomer, oh, you're apologising for paedophiles. They think, you see, they've latched onto this paedophile thing because they think, what's the worst thing you can call somebody? And they think it's like, it's, it's a genius move because if, I, if, 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 if you don't agree with me or if you get in my way, or in some cases, if you're just standing there, you're a paedophile, you're a groomer, you're, you're enabling people. It, it's disgusting. That is a word that should not be thrown around at people because that's a very, you know, it's an, it's one of the worst things you can say and it's one of the worst crimes you can do. And to make light of it or to use it as just like some insults that you randomly throw people is is absolutely disgusting. I mean, this is despicable behaviour and these people should be ashamed of themselves. Now, Gardy have they, been called, Joe, but has anyone been arrested? No, as far as we know, they haven't so far, okay? So, you know, it's... It's just, again, it, this is not about a book in a library. This is about librarians. It's about people doing their job, and it's a valuable job, having to put up with this idiocy, you know, on a regular basis. And like I said, it was anti, it was back, it was people in chemists a while ago. It was um, Ukrainian refugees a few months ago. Now it's librarians, and who knows who it's going to be yet next, you know? We've talked a lot, Joe, lastly, in the last few weeks and months on the programme about an increasing level of anger in society. Yeah. Do you think it's connected to this kind of carry-on? I think so. I think, to, to be honest with you, I think the lockdowns and the pandemic pushed a lot of people into dark areas. And it's understandable. There was isolation, there was worry, there was concern, there was stress. I totally understand it. I can see why people are looking for answers. I can see why people are confused. I can see why people are, are angry. You know, because it was a terrible time. There's no sugarcoating it. But to take that anger and to turn it into this negativity. And, and again, these are just librarians behind the counter who, who are dealing with the public. Mm-hmm. They can't do anything. They, they, they won't make decisions about what books go on the shelves. You know, if you've got a problem with that, then organize and do something, you know, make, make an effective protest. Because all you're doing at the moment is making people feel intimidated mm-hmm. and miserable because they're just trying to do their jobs. Yeah, and the simple the, the simple truth, Joe, is if you go about through the proper channels, as it were, the people that yeah. you really want to talk to will just tell you go away about yeah. your business and mind and 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 leave people alone. Joe, thank you, Joe O'Shea, editor at uh, Cork Bio. Now, Joe mentioned pharmacies. 
the things happening in pharmacies. Councillor Clet Finn of the Green Party. Clet, have you come across these incidents, been involved in one, seen one happen? Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Um, well, I suppose I was invited onto the show um, on foot of a motion that was passed uh, by Cork City Council on Monday night at our meeting, uh, which was highlighting. I don't know if you want me to read the motion to, to kind of help listeners understand the issue. So the motion was put forward by Councillor John Marr, Councillor Oliver Moore and Councillor Dan Boyle and it reads, Cork City Council stands in solidarity with our library staff who in the past number of weeks have experienced focused personal abuse, dealt with disruptive protest and endured intimidation in the course of their work. We must support our libraries who are places of diversity and inclusion, offering access to all. Our libraries are a safe place for all ages and a centre for learning and work. And I suppose on foot of that, um, Joe has has talked about um, his uh, understanding of what's been happening. And I suppose we're we're calling out this behaviour as totally unacceptable. Uh, We live in a democracy and people should be allowed to go about their work without fear of being abused, harassed or intimidated, Mm. uh, no matter what their work is. Yeah. You you are entitled to disagree with anything in a democracy. That That is the nature That's of a democracy. But you are not entitled to go into a library and start abusing ordinary people just doing their job. You are not entitled to go into a pharmacy and start abusing ordinary people just doing their jobs. I agree with you 100%. But unfortunately, a small a small number of people have been doing this and we're just calling it out as totally unacceptable. Yeah. I take it the motion was passed... Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can run for public office, you can say your ideas, um, you, people can vote for you, um, and then you have a mandate to talk about uh, what your ideas are. Yeah. But you can't just turn up, wake up one morning and decide that you're going to start har- harassing uh, the library staff because you don't like one particular book. What seems There's- to be in these books that's offending people so much, Colette? I mean, I think, as Joe says, they kind of latch on to any issue that, you know, people might have have issues with or whatever. So, unfortunately, the LGBTQ uh, community seem to have been targeted in this particular instance where, you know, they they talk about the fact that um, the book is unsuitable. Um, We have a very checkered history in Ireland around censorship. and, you know, we do not want to go back to those dark old days. We have to talk about all topics mm. in a respectful manner. We are all human beings and entitled to dignity and respect. Um, so, you know, they they have a problem with it. I don't know what their problem is. Um, in a democracy, um, people have a right to their sexuality. We've passed referendums. We've had votes on this. So, you know, there, there's no ambiguity. Mm. Um, if you want to be blunt about it, Colette, the argument is over. They lost. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you see, the, thing, the fundamental thing about a democracy is one person, one vote. You know, we are all equal when it comes to an election. Um, and, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't shy away from that. So you can have your opinion. That's fine. But you cannot harass and intimidate somebody else because they don't agree with you. Yeah. Rock was on here. I just want to see what you think of this, Colette. He said, abusing the staff, no, that should never happen. But having these books in a library for young kids to read, the country is completely messed up. Why are we letting it happen? But the country is not completely messed up. 
like that, that's 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 not a valid argument. It's not completely messed up. And if you have a view that's different from other people, there are mechanisms there. So you can go to the censorship of publications board and you can make your argument there. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the, there are processes in a democracy where if you disagree, you, you can you can use those forms, but they don't want to do that because their arguments are, you know, are not valid. Mm. Um, and they can, at the end of the day, they cannot defend uh, the idea that um, gay people, that there's something wrong with gay people. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Mm. They um, can't walk around the place accusing people of being pedophiles just because there's a correct. book about being gay on the shelf of, of a public library. It's it's absolutely crazy. Colette, thank you, Councillor. Colette Finn, 0818 96, 96, 96 There was also an incident on the 9 o'clock news last week, was it? It was last week where there was a reporter, I think it was one of the female reporters, oh God, who, it doesn't matter who it was, but there was a reporter on the 9 o'clock news doing a, a piece to camera from where there'd been a lot of snow and ice there was this goal. I mean, the only word for it. Started going around shouting about LGBT and started shouting horrible things about Roderick O'Gorman. Now, you can agree or disagree with Roderick O'Gorman all day, every day, whatever you want to agree or disagree about what the minister stands for in his 105 different briefs that he's in charge of. But this... This idiot got onto the nine o'clock news shouting and roaring about LGBT behind a piece to camera about the weather. Like, what is detached in your noggin that you think anyone, that you think you have the right to do that? 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel. Every year, we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You make you feel only on Cork's 96FM. Quick note in from Anthony McSweeney, Garda Anthony McSweeney. He's the community Garda in Ballancolleg. Asks us to mention that their coffee morning is on today at the Garda station in Ballancolleg between half ten and one, raising money for two wonderful charities, Motor Neuron Ireland and Field of Dreams by Cork Downs Syndrome. All welcome. Uh, Ballancolic Guard, the station, half ten until one. Happy to help with a mention of that. We had an email literally while I was talking to Joe and Colette. Um, this email comes in. They ask us not to use their name. Very happy to agree with that. I say this because as a Cork LGBT plus person, the email starts, I can't come forward without serious personal risk or defamation. So please Accept my anonymity. It's a fact that young people are mostly unsupervised online. They often know more about the online space than mom, dad or granny. Young people are exposed to pornography online while they're kids. 
when we got our first English dictionary in school, we looked up more sexual terms than appear in an average episode of South Park. We were seven or eight at the time. We were calling each other explicit names without even knowing what they meant. What would have been nice would have been a book or a class to give it context so we weren't so lost, so confused or so hurt. I do believe sexuality is a challenging topic and its navigation should be up to the individual parents. Where sex, educated is provide, sex education is provided in the classroom, it should be opt-in or opt-out. If we know we can't shelter kids from what they see out in the world, then we have a duty to help them navigate it. It doesn't start with bookboarding. It starts with being an approachable parent and adult. The fact that an LGBT plus book has gained prominence because protesters have been destroying it will mean more people will buy it now, just out of curiosity. Book burnings won't prevent your kids from being gay. That's what some people are really afraid of. They're afraid their kids will grow up and be LGBT plus and they want to make it a hostile prospect. Interestingly, a lot of right-wing people spend their days running around randomly calling people pedo. They film themselves doing it and put it online. It's all performance. Protests recorded on videos and often ending with the usual begging bowl for donation. The bottom line, in my view, is that kids need their parents and guardians to navigate the world. I say this as someone who grew up gay. You don't learn it in the library. It's lived. But having an LGBT plus section in the library certainly would have helped me understand who I was in the world a bit more safely. It's a wonderful email that has come in in the course of our discussion this morning. Thank you for it. 0818 96 96 96. There was a public meeting last night. About 100 people attended at the Metropole. Wide selection of speakers, all talking about the housing crisis. Katrina Toomey was there. She said people are taking their own lives. She knows of people who've died by suicide because the stress of waiting for a house was causing them just too much pain. It was a very well-attended meeting. Frank O'Connor was also there, the dereliction campaigner. He again drew attention to the number of empty and vacant and derelict homes that are around the country and around our city and county. Then this morning, Taoiseach, of course, or Taoiseach, rather, is in the US for St. Patrick's Day. And he was quoted in all this morning's papers, the examiner I'm reading from, saying the government has turned a corner on home building. This There's a piece of film going around on social media over the weekend from the Doyle where he was laying into Piers Doherty of Sinn Féin with figures and fig- more, more and more figures on the government's performance and that's kind of a follow-on from it. And then I read today that John Maxwell, he to be the chief executive of a major construction company called Lioncore, he says it'll be decades before the problem is fixed because of the planning blockages and the general inertia in trying to get stuff built. Locally, Michael O'Flynn, a Cork developer, well-known Cork developer, has kind of agreed with him. And Michael, you say it's political point scoring that goes on whenever we come to housing and that's not helping anybody. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, indeed. I, I just don't understand why the political system thinks this is something that they can gain extra attention and traction from 
this is a highly difficult issue for so many people. And the political system should be all joined up rather than um, attacking each other because of the, of the politics uh, they represent. I just find that extremely frustrating. PJ, this is a crisis that's gone on far too long. Homelessness is a shame on our society and the in, more and more people heading in that direction is, is, is terrible. But that's a different issue almost to the issue of housing and the, the challenges around housing. Mm. And, you know, when I, when I see some of, the, some of the solutions being put forward, political solutions being put forward, they might be popular, but it'll take years for people to realise that they won't be effective. Mm. And like, this is this is too serious. When COVID came, we there was an emergency. Everybody got together. They got inside the room. They said, "We have to fix this. We have to sort this." But when it comes to housing, it's it's everyone has their own uh, opinion, and unfortunately, a lot of people like us in the industry are outside the room. That doesn't mean we haven't engagement. We have engagement, but we won't just get a result from engagement. We have to start changing the way things are done from starting off with the okay. land and the planning and okay. zoning and all those issues. Let, let's, let's break it down, Michael, into simple terms. You're a developer of many, many decades of experience at this point. Let me put a scenario in front of you. You see an opportunity to build... 500 new houses. Look, there's profit in it for you and you're, well, you're entitled to that. You see enough an opportunity to build 500 new houses today. How quickly can you get shovels in the ground and how would you speed it up? Well, that's a very hard question to answer because we have, we have sites with zoning in Cork 15 years plus and we still can't get planning because of infrastructure shortcomings that have not been resolved. There's the answer, though, Michael. Even though land has been zoned. It is the answer, but I don't want to give a, an extremely negative example. You are talking three to four years before you can have any confidence that if you buy land, to go through the, the rezoning, to go through the um, planning, and now we've had all the difficulties feature with the judicial review system. I, I was... Uh, no, make no secret. I favoured the strategic housing developments, the SHDs, as they became known. But they became, they became a, a lawyer's feast almost because of the amount of, of, of JRs and all of that. I mean, the involvement by the courts, of course, is absolutely necessary. But over-involvement by the courts in planning is not a necessary step. The answer to your question is, how long does it take? If you got really lucky, you might get it there inside two years. It's more likely to be three to four years. Yeah. And there, it must be very frustrating to have this plan and have the, even have drawings and architects and engineers and all set to go. And then someone raises up a hand and says, oh, no, we need all this judicially reviewed. Do you find that some of this is about political point scoring, well, it is, unfortunately, and you have you have huge inconsistencies in how um, even political parties look at development. And on one hand, they're they're calling out for housing, and on another hand, they're 
there against certain developments. I mean, you can't have it both ways. And like, we don't have a strategy. Like, we don't have a strategy that's easy to implement. Just give you an example. If land is zoned, the principle of planning on that land should be accepted by all involved. It's not. We should be talking about detail when it goes to through the planning system. You shouldn't be talking about whether or not development should take place. And there's a new planning development bill. It's out in draft form at the moment. I think that's an opportunity to, to make changes. But I mean real changes. Bring certainty. You mentioned profitability. We can't develop without a profit because we can't fund without a profit. Oh, Michael, listen. But, you don't know. You'll get no argument from me in that regard. If you're no, not, no, make, if you're I, not I, making I, money, I, you're not turning concrete. No, it's simple. Right. But I'm making the point is, you know, people have some idea that if developers aren't involved, the, this supply thing is going to go way overnight. There's, there's going to be a magic solution because they are the problem. The profit element is, it should be 15% to check the funding requirements. Mm. It's way less. But the point I'm coming to is, you have a lot of difficult point scoring out there. If there was public delivery system, if there was a different system, housing would be a lot cheaper. I can tell you that, DJ, Morning, it would be a lot more expensive. Now, I'll come back to to the whys of that, but let's look back into our history for a second. We can't deny that back in the time of Sean Lamass, younger listeners can look him up, even back in the 70s, when we didn't have an arse in our trousers in this country, we built thousands of houses. The state built them, the local authorities built them, tens of thousands of houses. There is an argument, or is there, you'll tell me if there is, for going back to that and having a state body building. Well, I can just tell you, if we go down that road, we're going to make a bad situation a lot worse. Tell me why. We don't, the state does not have an infrastructure. Back then, the local authorities had an infrastructure that enabled them to build housing. But the point I was making a moment ago, if you go back to an open book system, you can then, you have visibility on what the sector is delivering. But we have a lot of people now, TJ, who are on public housing. When I went building houses first 40 years ago, these people were able to buy private housing. So what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong when your average couple who are working, you know, in reasonable jobs, public or private, can't afford a house anymore? And back then, you know, before the period that I'm talking about, you had thousands of, of, of public housing, and that's the only show, so to speak. But we, we are very good at overdoing things in this country. We, we had problems, but we stopped building when we should have been um, planning for the future. Yeah. And unfortunately, at this moment in time, we do not have a, a strategy to deliver housing at a price. When I was building houses first, VAT was 3%. Yeah, it's now thirteen and a half percent. Development levies didn't exist. Like the amount of taxes now associated with new housing is quite extraordinary that people don't fully realise. And you know, people say, "Well, if you're public housing, the land is free." There's no such thing as free land. If there's public land and public ownership, that has a value. And so there, there's political nonsense going about. 
With Michael back on a hopefully a better line this time, Michael. Flynn, I was just sorry, Pete. I'm actually on a landline now. You're, apologies. You're great, thank you. Um, I wanted to get to something that I don't, I don't know whether or not you are in a position to comment on it. But we'll see when I get to it. But you were about to say that it all gets too political too quickly. Well, it does, and it doesn't need to, because shelter housing is one of the probably one of the two most important important um, requirements that people have. And we just need to get to a system where people can afford housing or people are helped to have housing. At this moment in time, we have an enormous deficit. I think the Taoiseach said the other day that the country needs 250,000 houses. Yeah. Um, th- that's the backlog. I, I don't disagree with his number, but it, how are we going to get to a level that we get normality back into the market? Because the last thing we need is, is a business that, that's, that has no uh, you know, normal basis. Mm. To. And this moment in time, we, we are a long way from normality. How are we as regards staff? I was listening to a discussion on another programme that we're so short now of apprentices in this country. We will, we will run out of brickies and chippies and sparks and plumbers because they'll just retire and we won't have any coming through the system. Are we running into a shortage of construction workers as well? We are. We lost a decade of people come, coming into the, 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 trade, the whole trades area. We are all investing in, in you know, different building techniques to, to make it um, quicker and maybe less reliable on, on some of the trades that are not attractive anymore because people look at the IT world and other worlds and say, well, why would we go into a business that that that's fluctuates so much? To answer your question, we have a lot more capacity. We 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 have a problem. There needs to be um, a, a whole incentivization of, of for companies and individuals to get into trades and companies to help. Yeah. That is an issue that is not being dealt with, and that's a problem because people don't fully realise. It's like I think in 2012 we're heading for the housing crisis. And nobody wanted to know. You're raising a very good a very good question. This is an issue that we have to give more attention and time yeah. to. It's not an issue in your building. 25,000 units. But if you're building what has been predicted recently by, by experts that we need 50,000 units, well, then you have a problem. We don't have the workers. We don't have the, we don't have the workers to deliver at this moment in time for the numbers we should be delivering. Yeah. Like timber frame, a, timber frame is, seems to be the way to go now in a lot of construction. Do we yeah, have we, enough we, carpenters, for example, to do timber well, frame? We, we, it's a good question. We, we have we, timber frame. We're all moving in that direction, and we've all invested in structures to do with timber frame. Um, we don't. You don't need maybe the the absolute carpenter uh, um, trade for all of timber frame delivery and 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 construction. So there there are some advantages there. If you if you, if it's faster you, for um, a start. It, it's faster, and it's it, it's a lot of it is done offsite, which 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 the the the, the workers necessary for that, and don't have to be carpenters as such. Even though carpenters are, are crucial to the yeah. to the actual erection, so there's a lot going on there. But to answer the question, we 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 don't have enough, 
we have enough for what we're doing at the moment. We don't have enough if we were delivering or if we were trying to catch up on, on what the Taoiseach presented or yeah. uh, said was the shortfall. It's like the, the two questions going around at the moment. We have one question, where are people going to go? And like you said there, we now have another question, where are, who, who's going to build all these houses that we need? Can I ask you lastly, Michael, if you want to comment on it, the situation with the eviction ban, a huge political football at the moment, opposition calling it for it to be extended, government saying we couldn't do that, and then actually the crucial line coming out of government is it would have made matters worse. Agree or disagree? Where do you stand? Well, first of all, I think the eviction ban was put there for a period. I think it's it's not a great strategy to to actually introduce in the first place. Anything you must introduce that you must take away is quite problematic. I wish they looked at what, what can we do to help landlords stay, stay in the market. And that hasn't happened. It, it, the ban has come to an, uh, an end, and all of a sudden everyone's running around to see what can we do. Uh, I, I think the people who pay rent are, are, are in a very difficult place. But if you if you want a if you want a house and I'm not here to speak for anyone now, but uh, landlords are entitled to, to sell if they have a good reason to sell. But a lot of them are selling PJ because they can't make it work anymore. Yeah. They have rising interest rates. They they have rental caps and all that go with it, and they have penal tax between the the tax itself and the USC charge the the the, the um. PRSI, you're over 50%. Like, well, why would you bother? But you do um, have a property, which is a massive asset. You do have a property, which is, of course, an asset, and, and, and it's an important asset, but the reality of the situation is you don't have a property that's going to maybe appreciate that what happened in times past, but you have to look at the challenges, and I would be saying, I wish they gave more tax breaks in relation to the people not to leave the market, and if you made them attra- attractive enough, this needs drastic intervention at this time to stop people. And I know the political system is 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 um, is very busy now at the moment on both sides. And uh, you know, I, I understand why they had to stop it, but I don't understand why we're not making it so attractive that might get people who are not leave- selling for family reasons, but are selling because they've had enough. Landlords are being demonised. Like, you're almost, people are almost afraid to say they're a landlord anymore, even though I don't like the word. But the, the reality situation is, make it attractive. If people will sell to a housing body or sell, you know, with the tenants sit in situ, mm-hmm. give, give capital gains tax break. Make, make it interesting for people not to go ahead. Make it interesting for people to stay, to hold on. But people have had enough and they are getting out. But if you do something now that's very attractive, you know, we, we have a, in this country, people don't like paying taxes. Make, because the consequences of it are we're going to house them somewhere. And we have all these people on housing lists. We have the Ukrainian, the refugees. It's like, the, the la- we should make it attractive for people to not sell their properties. You won't do that unless you give something something dramatic almost yeah. to stop the flow. And I think... That a, a radical that change, that. a radical change, I think, Michael, in the tax system as it applies to, to, to small-time landlords, particularly fellows with two and three properties. We're not talking about huge funds or hundreds of properties. A, a, a change in the, in the tax as it applies to landlords. 
it was the same for years. It's like these people were, 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 are being driven out of the system. I know people are criticising them for selling their homes. There was a strategy for these people to get out because it became less and less attractive to have a rental income and, uh, and all the, the penal tax structures. Like, we're very critical in this country about the big institutional landlords, uh, investors that are, that are in the major metropolitans, mainly Dublin. My goodness, look how bad we'd be off, <laughs> how bad we'd be if some of those um, structures didn't build the thousands of units they, they built. But the, the smaller landlords are crucial to the regional and indeed to, to our, our own area in Cork. But we have to make it attractive for them to stay or indeed to get back in because we need people to rent properties to people who are trying to, to work and get on the ladder to, to save for housing. Okay, Michael, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Cork developer Michael O'Flynn. Uh, widespread views there on the crisis in building, the crisis in renting, and there's that point he makes. You can aim for all these additional builds. You could talk about building this and building that and building the other. Who's going to build them? Because we have a massive shortage of tradespeople. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. We all love Irish music and the artists that make it. Cork's 96FM is proud to support Irish Music Month throughout March by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across the country, independent radio with Hot Press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €100,000 to play and perform for us. We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you? Irish Music Month, proudly supported by Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. Join the conversation. Station. Text or WhatsApp 083 This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. PJ, Ryan houses. There are units unfinished for the last 18 months up by the reservoir in Nocknahini. Anybody know why? That question from Rose. Michael's view on the modular housing discussed at City Council Monday night. I didn't get to him or to modular housing with him. Sorry about that. I'm listening to your programme about housing crisis. There are 16 new units on Fernie Road in Carrigaline that are finished since, since September and still empty. They were started before COVID. So in total, there are three years getting built. That's a disgrace. Thank you, a resident of Fernie Road. I know those houses, actually. I was wondering when they were going to put somebody into them. It's a great point, though. There's lots of houses empty. Again, those houses up by the reservoir, sitting there unfinished, 18 of them. Why? 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 Maybe, as Michael says, maybe there just aren't enough people there to finish the work. We have this shortage, chronic shortage, and getting shorter of brickies and chippies and plumbers and tilers and plasterers and roofers and electricians. You name it, because... Whereas we've talked about apprentices, apprenticeships, they're just not being taken up. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thank you to, for this. We I referred earlier on to a row in the doyle between Michal Martin and Pierce Doherty. Uh, Michal Martin defending the government's stance on housing and where housing is going, and Pierce Doherty obviously criticising him about that. Let's have a listen. We reached thirty thousand new, new bills in housing last year. 
the corner was turned last year. That went from 20,000 to 30,000 in one year. A massive increase in building in terms of new houses. The young buyers, the help to buy scheme. How many young people benefited that first time buyers? 33,000. What was your position on that? You opposed it. And you talk in here then about helping young buyers and young purchasers? You opposed it. You opposed the first home scheme. You opposed the land development agency. You kept on opposing. And then, to make it worse, in local authorities around the country, you opposed housing schemes after housing schemes. You talk out of both sides of your mouth on this. And when it comes to the eviction ban, what did Owner Brin say? Where were they going to go next Christmas? What did Owner Brin say yesterday morning, Ireland? What did you say in the private member's motion only recently? What did you say through the chair? You said the end of the year we should end it. In December. Where is the honesty in that? Are you seriously suggesting that you guys in December would have allowed the rent ban to be lifted? Days after Christmas Day? That's the kind of dishonesty that I find reprehensible. In your four-minute diatribe, what you didn't answer was the question I put to you, or the question that Mary Lou Macdonald put to the teacher yesterday. Where are these individuals going to go? Now, you may want to focus on me or Owner Brynn or whatever. I'm focusing on people like this. A parent with two children where the Dublin Council has told them there is no emergency accommodation for them available in this authority, where the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive has said there is no available accommodation in the county for their family size, where the local authority said there are no options, no vacancies in the hotel system, your constituents should present to their local Garda station for a safe place to stay or ask family or friends. And if it wasn't for the intervention of my colleague Mark Ward, that is exactly where that family would be on the floor of a guard station. Now, Tonishte, this is before you made a cruel and heartless decision to lift the ban. There are thousands of evictions that will come live in the next number of weeks and months. I have a simple question for you. Where are they to go? You have to see both sides of that exchange. You have to take the Taoiseach's numbers and say, well, they're there and numbers don't lie. But you also have to listen to what Pierce Doherty is saying. It's the simple unanswered question. And I think Jimmy was a caller to the opinion line. Was it Wednesday? Sorry, was it Monday morning? Might have been Monday morning. I don't know what day of the week I have because I'm off tomorrow. I think it might have been Monday morning. Jimmy was a caller to the show and he said that over the weekend he hadn't seen one government spokesperson answer that question. The people affected by the eviction ban, or by the lifting of the eviction ban, where are they going to go? The woman that was talking to me the other morning, who's down in Yall and has to be out by the 2nd of April, is searching and searching and searching, and she's not sleeping, she's barely eating. Where are they to go? So you've got the numbers on the one side that the Taoiseach or the Tanishta gives us. Those numbers are what they are. Then you have the other unanswered question from the other side of the door. Where are they to go? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The Mines are live. Hello. 
Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Coogan's 96fm. Just about to move on to something strange in a handbook from one of the biggest nursery school chains in the world. Parents are being advised not to tell their daughters they look pretty or not to tell their daughters they look like a princess. Have you heard, seen anything strange in guides to parents from your local nursery? That's in just a sec. Need to clear some correspondence, though, on housing and homelessness. In the end of fam- this is there with a day, a day or two, and my apologies to whoever sent it in, I only get into it now. In the event of families with young children being evicted, maybe these families should present themselves at the family home of the various ministers involved, particularly of Radcar, Michal Martin, Eamon Ryan, and Dara O'Brien, the housing minister, with signs that say, My children are homeless because of you. Please help. It's drastic, but it might just spur these politicians on to act in the interests of the people. Best wishes from Michael. While Michael, a lot of people might see that as a good idea, I have to say I always cringe a little when I hear of people going to anybody's private home, be it a politician or a business person or anybody with whom you have a disagreement. I'm always in two minds about that. Something else as well, chatting to Michael O'Flynn there, about the shortage of trades and people going into trades. What's going to happen in a few years' time when we have to, by law, bring up the BER rating of our house? They're saying now from the European Union, you might have heard about it during the week, that after 2028, new buildings, all new buildings, will have to have zero emissions. And existing buildings, yours and mine that we now live in, will have to meet a minimum rating of E by 2030 and gradually improve from there on which means a lot of retrofitting a lot of new windows a lot of insulation blah 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 heat pumps blah 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 who's going to do all this work if we have such a shortage of trades 0818 96 so Bright Horizons your thoughts welcome Bright Horizons is one of the world's biggest nursery chain it chains it has Huge numbers of outlets and influence across the US and the UK. And in his parents' handbook, which was distributed by email, parents are being told now that they shouldn't tell their daughters they're pretty. It also cautions parents against what it says is overpraising good behaviour, whatever that is meant to mean. It also describes girls as children who identify as female. So there's a couple of different things in this handbook that raised an eyebrow. But let's start with that one. Uh, Parents shouldn't tell their daughters they're pretty, shouldn't tell their daughters that they look like a princess. Elaine Dunn is chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Um, Is it common, Elaine, for nurseries and other such outlets to put these kind of instructions in a handbook for parents. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I'm not aware of any service in our country that has um, this in their handbook for parents at all. 
Um, I actually spoke to some of my parents over the last couple of days on this and they said that they would call and say whatever they want to their children. Um, I've just had a new granddaughter in my family and she's absolutely a princess and I would be calling her a princess. <laughs> and, you know, when children come into us in the morning, we're it's a it's a term of knowing that they're loved and nurtured when they come in. Hello, little princess. You know, or, you know, you're a good girl, good boy. I can't understand why they're only talking about the girls. So are they empowering the boys in a different way? You know, you have to question that. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying that they shouldn't overly praise good behaviour as well. Like If a child does something great, you tell them they're great. I would have thought that's basic parenting 01. Okay, so, <laughs> so we actually had a, a wonderful, uh, very, very bright little three and a half year old Jessie in our classroom who knew all of her shapes. So we stopped the classroom and we were praising her and telling everybody, let's show, show how she knows all of her shapes. And you're letting her see that everybody thinks she's wonderful and you're empowering them to know that they're, you know, you're encouraging the learning um, ability of the child and everything when you're doing that. And we do that for all of our kids when they accomplish something. If they if they do some kind of a jigsaw or something, you're saying, oh, look what Mary's after doing there. Isn't she wonderful? Of course, that's empowering a child. It's yeah. called nurturing. It's normal. Like, you know, of course we're going to praise our children. Yeah. Yeah, that line isn't the best. Let's, and let's I'm through. sure they want us to praise. Yeah. I'm sure parents would want us to praise their children. Yeah. The, the handbook I'm reading here from a piece in the mail, the Bright Horizons handbook urges parents to reflect. It says it's too easy to fall into a pattern of praising a girl's appearance in that you look so pretty or labelling her behaviour as good or congratulating her when she does something perfectly. It doesn't say what's wrong with that, but it says that they're urging them to reflect on how they raised their daughters. There is no mention of sons, not in the article I read anyway. No, no, and, and there doesn't appear to be a mention of the boys at all. It's just all about the girls, which I found very strange. I mean, we empower all children in our services every single day. It's all about inclusion and everything. So where's the inclusion in the handbook if it's all about the girls? Yeah, there is a mention also in the handbook that it's the way the handbook is written. It describes girls as children who identify as female. Okay. Your thoughts on that one? My thoughts on that one, all children will identify as whatever their sexual, you know, whatever sex they are, if it's male or female. You know, that's the identity of the child when they're born. Yeah. They're either born a boy or they're either born a girl. Um, I do worry about what the future holds, though, when something like that is in a handbook and where are we going with this? Yeah. And I think a lot more conversations are going to come out of this, for sure. Again, here's a quote as, as reprinted in the mail. It says, be aware of gender stereotypes presented in the media that your family consumes. Fill you, now, I can see a point to this, Elaine. Fill your home with books, toys and decor that do not conform to specific gender roles, like buy books about female construction workers, encourage girls to engage in maths and science, try to eliminate gender-based references to your child, like it says princess or tomboy, or don't say things like young ladies don't behave that way. Now, I can see the thing about the decor and the books and stuff like that, but you kind of lose touch Yeah, there. and, and there, look, there are plenty of books out there that show that, you know, that the, the girl can be the builder. You know what I mean? There are plenty of books out there. We would have them in our service all the time. And if we're reading stories, like you, 
you read the story that's about the boy and the girl working in construction or whatever job they want to work in. You're empowering them to pick a job that they want. So in, in a classroom, you have a construction corner, you have the home corner, you know, then you ha- you, you've got all these, the library, you've got, you've got all these different corners and the children go to whatever corner they want. Like you're not telling a child, oh, the boys have to go to that direction and the girls have to go there. It's the same with the toilets. We don't have boy girl toilets. Yeah. They just go to the toilet. Yeah, I've often, it's a long time since mine were children, I keep saying that, Elaine, but in my experience, children are shown where to go. Otherwise, they'll just go to whatever suits them. We show them. Yeah, yeah, and we guide them. Yeah. But what way are we going to be guiding them now with what's in the handbook? How are we to guide them? Here's one that's coming on on the princess thing. When my daughter says she wants to be a princess when she grows up, I tell her she should want to be a president or consider being a president. I always try to tell her she's funny or smart or kind instead of constantly telling her she's gorgeous, which she is anyway. But I try to let her know her other amazing qualities are far more important than her looks. Oh, no, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, just, it's whatever way the child needs to be empowered on the day. To whatever it turns into, you know, what play they're doing on the day and how you're empowering them within the services. Yeah. yeah. This is one of the biggest chains of nurseries in, in the world. If they start doing it, others may start doing it. But you're saying no one's doing it here just yet. Not that I'm aware of. Um, we were actually going to survey um, our group next week to see is anybody doing it um, because we haven't heard of Okay. That line is going to let me down, but thankfully we got to the end of our conversation. Thank you, Elaine Dunn, Chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Again, I'm quoting from an article. Uh, It says that parents shouldn't be telling their daughters they're pretty. Try to eliminate gender-based reference to your child like princess or tomboy. Or try to eliminate phrases like young ladies don't behave that way, which I agree with anyway. Where were we going? Were we going to a call there we were? Anne, yes. Oh, do, do, okay, break first. Anne, will you hold on for me till I clear an ad break? No problem. Thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. And thanks for holding. What do you want to say? Good morning. Uh, it's about that handbook that you were on about. Yes. No, the people are the person that wrote that and all this bull that's wrote in it. Yeah. Have you any idea? Are they married? Do they have a family? Or are they just single women giving their opinion on something they don't know about? Yeah, you'd wonder. You'd wonder, yeah. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I have two beautiful grandchildren there. And when they come in to me, am I supposed to ignore them and not tell them they're pretty or they're beautiful mm. or they're handsome? Yeah. What the hell are they going to come up with next? What about the point that if they say they feel they want to be a princess when they grow up, every little girl wants to be a princess when she grows up. You can chalk it down, they do. But, but, but we not say, well, why don't you be president? But that'd be like talking to the boy. Like, as you said, the boys are fine, but just the little girls again. I mean, what in the name of God are people blind? Are they stupid? You have to, even if there's a stranger's little child there walking down the road, and if you're in the garden and she's looking at you, you're going to say, oh my God, you're a beauty. Is that wrong? 
Yeah, it's the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? It's the most natural thing in the world. And they're trying to put a stop to all these natural things that are happening. Yeah. They're trying to stop everything from coming out. Like there's dope yesterday or whatever day it was in the library. When are people going to grow up and let people do what they feel like doing themselves without people stopping them? Yeah. Like, no, you're not, just for a second to clarify, and you're not suggesting we say to boys they can be president and the girls they can be a princess, no? Oh, no, 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 no. no. A woman can be a president, sure, can be a president, a girl, and boy. No, I'm not saying that. Yes. But what I am saying is, why should you stop, like when they dress up, every little girl dresses up. Yeah. I mean, they're Elsa, they're Bella, they're all these. They're going by what they're seeing on television. But that, even though Bill and all those haven't come out when we were young, that's a long time ago. Mm. Every child is beautiful. They were always fairy tale. You're right, they were fairy tale princesses. Yeah. 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 And thank you. Who wrote this stuff? Asks Anne. Who wrote this stuff? Have they even got children of their own? Have they ever raised a child of their own? Or did they just go to college and study all this stuff? Breaking news. It ain't the same. Jackie. Morning, PJ. Hiya. Uh, you've two granddaughters. I have three grandsons and two granddaughters. Right. And my six year old granddaughter, she's nearly seven. She's, she thinks she's a princess because she's been called princess from the day she was born. Yeah. And I have a three month old granddaughter and I'm doing the same with her. I am sick to death of this woke generation trying to change people. They're, they're you know, you're born either a boy or a girl. Hmm. Yeah, and that bit in the handbook um, where they describe girls as children who identify as female. Yeah, I just think it's so wrong. I mean, I, my 10-year-old grandson, no, like, he, I often say to him, you know, I, you're my prince. Nana, I'm going to grow up, no, he says, and I'm going to be a big, strong man, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I said, you are a boy, like that. And then herself thinks she, she could be Rapunzel today, she could be sleeping beauty tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends. She dresses up all the time. She loves her dress-up clothes. Prior to being a kid. Yeah. Prior to it, I remember, and I, like, my daughter was a right tomboy. So her daughter is a really Oh, girl. God, I, uh, Jackie, Jackie, they'll take you out and they'll string you up for using that. a tomboy, yeah. But she was, like, because she was in between two brothers, so anything they could do, she could do better, you know what I mean? And um, I suddenly got a daughter at 16 when she got interested in boys and clothes and things like that. But this one from day one has been a girly girl. And my new granddaughter now, at three months, she's becoming a rightly girly girl as well. And I'll make sure she is, you know. Mm. And um, they're my princesses and I I call them that. And no bloody handbook is going to tell me any different. (laughs) These people, they, they can identify whatever they want. A, B, C, D, the whole bloody alphabet. They can identify as whatever they want, but they're born either male or female, and it's as simple as that. Okay, Jackie, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Um, PJ, yeah, there's a couple of th- things on my screen there. I'll get to them. Kate? Hi, um, I have a little one, and uh, one minute she's in a tutu, and the next minute she's on the rugby pitch in with all the lads. Brilliant. Yeah. So she's doing both. And I think secondary school, they she all, girls and boys, literally educated together. I think it's crazy. And I think they appreciate each other more. Mm. And I think they respect each other more. And they see the girls doing things just as well as the boys. There's, there's, a, move, there's a move now towards more and more oh, co-education. They're all the time because then they're much more comfortable with each other. 
in school and out of school. Yeah. yeah. What would you make of a handbook that, that tells oh. parents that they shouldn't use words like pretty or well, tomboy or anything like that? To be grand for lighting the fire and, you know, putting two sticks on it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do with it. Into the fire and just light it up. Oh, you do great fire with it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, 0818969696. Yeah, you're, you're talking. Look, I have a daughter. She's, she's 25 now. And, you know, looking back at the various stages of her life. She's a gorgeous kid. In fact, I often wonder where we got her. Like, where did we end up with such a gorgeous kid? And all her friends are gorgeous-looking looking young ones. But it's not that. When I see my daughter, and it's not that that makes me proud. It's not that that, that makes me feel ten foot tall that this wonderful young woman is my daughter and one of my closest friends on the planet at the same time. I, the one that makes me proud is when she goes to her work as a veterinary nurse and I see a sick animal with her and I see the gift in her hands that's what makes me proud someone asking well what about your son ah listen don't even start with that don't even start with that when I see him with a better knowledge of music a more in-depth and detailed knowledge of music at his age than I had when I was working as a professional disc jockey and radio presenter back at his at that age, he'd leave me in his dust with his knowledge of music. When I see him picking around on his guitar in his bedroom, when I see him making beats on his computer and his iPad and his machine, when I see him up in the cabin with Gary and the crew recording and having fun, and when I see him doing his little gig with Phil when she invites him down to the Young at Heart concerts or the Young at Heart afternoons. And when I think of the people who told us 20-something years ago, forget all that. It's never going to happen. Because they did. That's what makes me proud. There's no words for that. My daughter is the prettiest princess I've ever seen and she's rewarded for good behaviour. Some stupid book written by someone who probably hasn't got kids. Won't stop me either, says Padre. Yes, and I think Kate, is it Kate or Jackie? One of our callers made that point. Wouldn't you love to get the people who wrote this handbook and ask them that question? Do you have kids? 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Of your St. Patrick's Day parade memories. I remember vaguely uh, when I dressed up in my mom's wedding dress for some reason. She just wanted to reuse it, I think. But I think, <laughs> I think it was a fancy dress. I'm not sure. I really want to see a photo of that, Isabel. You need to send that on if you can find us. <laughs> Join me, Lorraine, all this week from four. The Big Drive Home, Corks 96 FM. I remember when we first mentioned the four-day working week or the idea of a four-day working week on the opinion line. And my first contributor on it was a fella who was home from Boston, where he'd been working in construction. And he was telling me how, with the firm he worked, they had built it up into a four-day week, where he worked four, ten, or four, nine and a half, or whatever it was, hour days, to make up his, his 40 hours. And then he had his Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or his Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off, depending on the week that it was. And he said, it's the way to go. And in times to come, a lot of people will do it because it's just a great way to work and to live. And people at the time said, no, nah, you couldn't possibly do that. How are you going to do five days work in four days? It'll c- cut productivity. It'll, it'll never work. Couldn't possibly happen. From that day to this, there's been a sea change. And there's a lot of talk about it lately. And a lot of people have already moved on to a four-day week in various different uh, lines of work. Uh, one of the first companies in the country to do it was the ICE Group. Margaret Cox went on to actually write a book about the four-day week. Uh, morning, Margaret. Morning, PJ. How are you doing? Have you seen that debate develop in the same way I did when people said, you know what, I work a four-day week in Boston. And people said, oh God, that'd never work here. But now it is. That's right. Yeah, now it is. And um, I think across the world, people are beginning to realize, you know, there are choices that you need to make in your business. And those choices are around, are you working to live or living to work? And can you do the job that you do in less time that you would normally do it on? Can you still be as productive or even more productive get the same pay because that's key and do it in four days. And I mean, four years, Ice Group, we've been doing it now coming up into July will be our fourth anniversary and it continues to be a a success. You know, that's all I can say. I take it you're open every day, but your staff work four days, correct? That's right. And it's like you were saying about that gentleman from Boston 
Um, you either work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you're off for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or you work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're off Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So we've built our work around five days open for the company and everybody having a three-day weekend so that when they come into work on whatever is their first day back, they have the energy, the focus and the happiness and enthusiasm to go in there and to do the job in four days. Clearly, the research is now showing that someone who has that extra day off, even if the four days before it might be a bit longer. My, my daughter being a typical example, uh, the clinic where she mm-hmm. works, they all do a four-day week. Thursday is her Friday. Now, she, she's still going, oh, work again Monday morning. But the three-day weekend, mm. you couldn't buy it off her. No, and, and this is the thing about it. You know, when your life changes around having that additional day and people use the day for different things. They used to spend more time with their family, whether that's children or maybe elderly parents or whatever it is. They might be going back to college. They might be spending more time on the golf course. They might be volunteering at the local, something in the local community. But they use that time or even just for themselves. Like life is so busy and we're coming on St. Patrick's Day is on Friday. Mm. Um, everybody's looking towards oh, we're going to have that full weekend off if you're not working on Saturday. And the, and, you know, the enthusiasm we have for this week to get our work done is an indicator of um, how successful it would be if people would open their minds. And, you know, it, it is a challenge. And I challenge business owners there to sort of say, could we make it happen? Would it be better for our clients? Would it be better for our employees? Would it be better for the community? And the answer to those questions are, in general, in most cases, yes, it would. Here's something. Um, and, and those are the challenges we need to think about. Here's something that comes up with regard to this week, and it's a rare one, but I'll ask you how you deal with this at Ice Group. So you've got colleagues that work Monday to Thursday, yes. they're off on Friday, and others that work Tuesday to Friday, and they're off on Monday. So the people who yes. work Tuesday to Friday are now only doing a three-day week and they also have their Monday off. Isn't that a bit unfair to the people who normally work Monday to Thursday? So do you know what? The good thing about it was in our planning phase, we thought about that. What did you? And in the weeks where there's a bank holiday or a public holiday, everybody works the other four days. So you're what we call our genius day, which is the day off we would normally have either the Monday or the Friday. Um, that all swaps to the bank holiday so that everybody continues to work the four days in that week. And the reason behind that is really, really simple, transparent and honest. It's that um, the, the deal is we get the same amount of work done in the four days as we would in the five days. Mm. Um, so you can't do that if you fly, if you go down to a three-day week. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It That's too big of a job. Plus, you, you've also got people saying, well, no, Mary has a three-day week because that's her roster. I have a four-day week. That's not fair. Yeah. You avoid that crack as well. That's right. Exactly. Um, and, and again, I think really in organisations, and, and this is what you see in terms of one of the successes, the employee engagement in organisations that are doing a four-day week is such that the communication is better, the engagement and the focus in, in terms of the company's culture, their customer service, the way they deal with their clients, the way they deal internally with their 
own, you know, with their colleagues and their teams, all much better because everybody's focused on the one goal, which is we're going to get our job done. We're going to get it done in four days. We're going to continue to get the same pay as we got before because we're doing the same job, but we're saving ourselves a day and we might be having a longer weekend. We might have a day off during the week. Um, you know, it could be two half days during the week. That'll all depend on what way the company wants to do it. Our way is that everybody has a three-day weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm a client of your company yes. and my contact for argument's sake is Michael, and I yes. have a crisis on Friday and Michael yeah. is off on Friday. Who handles my crisis? Yeah. Michael's colleague. So we always, we have a body system. So there's somebody to cover Michael on Friday and then there's somebody to cover um uh, somebody covers Michael on Friday and then somebody else is covering on Monday. I see. Um, when they're on. So, so it's that's just, how you, and, that's and you know the great thing about that's how you do it and teams i mean you're probably very familiar with microsoft teams that's the platform that we use for communication so if i'm going off on thursday evening because i'm off tomorrow on friday and i've a couple of things going on i'll send the notes about what i'm doing onto the person who's my cover who's my buddy and then they do a handover on friday evening for me coming back in on monday so if there was a problem um we, we, somebody who's covering Michael would do it probably Mary. The other thing though that is really, and this goes back to the employee engagement piece um, if it was really bad we'd call Michael and Michael would do whatever he needed to do in order to get it fixed now that doesn't happen very often mm. but if it was happen if it were to happen um, the person who gets the call would just try and do their best to get it fixed um, it happened more in the beginning when we were learning about the process and it, it happens very rarely now that you have to ring somebody on their day yeah. off. Pe- people settle into a pattern and I would know, for example, yes. Michael is off on Friday and That's I assume right. that I would yeah. also have, know the name of the person who's covering my file. Yeah. on Friday and it yeah. would be yeah. that's good and if it was yeah. something that you know, someone will say Richard now can sort me out temporarily on Friday put my mind at ease and then I'll chat to Michael on Monday and it all works out it all works out for the good that's good now you've written a book about this yourself and your colleague I think was there did you experience Margaret a lot of pushback from other employers Oh, no, that'll just lead to lazy staff and a lack of productivity. And sure, ah, oh, Jesus, I'm paying him for four days. I'm paying him for five days and I'm only employing him for four days. So what's that nonsense about? Old-fashioned values. We didn't, yeah. I suppose in fairness, um, again, on our journey, um, because we communicated in advance with our clients what we were going to do, we ended up getting very good public or PR out of it and we were seen to be innovative we were seen to be sort of ahead of the game and people were really interested in how did it work and how does it work and we're constantly I'm and would you believe it and I I know the researcher wasn't talking to her Emer, but um, I'm actually sitting here looking out at the Sydney Opera House at the moment and because I'm working in Sydney uh, these two weeks but um, the amount of interest that people have in how could I make it 
work across the world. And we've been talking to companies about that here in Sydney. Um, is it something that we could make we could make work or whatever? So there is some resistance. Interestingly enough, there's a bit of resistance um, in the public sector because there's some people who have particular rosters that don't suit a four-day week because they're already doing a, a three-day week, you know, three 12-hour shifts, and they don't want to think that they'll have to go to a four-day week. So, mm. you know, there are pockets of resistance um, and it's like any change you know you have to sit back and say well how can we make this happen or is it something that we need to make happen or are we okay um, but I, I have found that um, the resistance has been very small Bri- very, Brian, very Brian small. has a question here Margaret he said what about shift work how, how does it work with that do we end up with reduced weeks in shift work um, and again, every organization is different because some companies do, you know, um, three eight hour shifts. Um, other companies do three 12 hour shifts or four 12 hour shifts and then three the next week and whatever. So our challenge um, to organizations or our challenge to ourselves was to say, look, at, this is what we want to achieve. What could we do to do it? And what changes would we have to make? And is that something that we can accept as an organization and Mm. that our clients would be happy to accept? So the answer to um, your caller is it could perhaps absolutely work. um, Because let's say he's making 100 widgets an hour. And in order to um, get to a stage where he goes to the four day week, he has to make 120 widgets an hour. Is that something possible that he could do in that shift work? And if it is, what changes do they have to make? Does do we have to make? Because it's all about um, four days work, a hundred percent productivity, four mm. days work, and a hundred percent pay. Okay. I have you. I have that. Are there some jobs where it couldn't be done? And thinking of ourselves here, myself and Emer and Fergal, we have to put a program on the air five mornings a week. You can't just not have a talk show on a Friday or on a Monday. That would have probably involved mm-hmm. the company recruiting another presenter for Friday, would it? Or Thursday or Monday or whatever. Or maybe somebody else would get an opportunity to spend some time and to do it on the Friday and that there would be some sort of a, a, a flexible schedule around it. I'm not quite sure. Maybe you do more recordings. Um, but imagine, PJ, if somebody said to you, you know what, put your brilliant mind uh, focusing on this and think, are there opportunities for us to do it there? And I bet you think about, you know, you think about ways of doing it. For instance, what's going to happen this Friday? Um, we're off as it turns out now this Friday <laughs> yeah. yeah there you go well now imagine that a four day week down there in 96 FM this week <laughs> it's true it's very true I guess I think what you're saying is that it can be done if everyone comes together and plans out how to do it yeah it can be done and um, you start with I believe um, I, I believe you start with the question how could we do it as opposed to the statement, it should never work here? Yeah. Because the benefits, and this is the thing, you've got to believe in the benefits. And if the benefits 
um, are such and, and, you know, people challenge me all the time. Here are some numbers that will make people who are thinking about it think a little bit harder about it. 27% increase in productivity, a total reduction in the number of single day absences um, in terms of sick leave and a 33% increase in our wellness scores in the population, in the working population in our workforce, mm-hmm. if you like. Those are the kind of results that we actually got. And, and continue to keep, you know, um, it, it hasn't gone backwards. Yeah, and those figures very much speak for themselves. What's the name of your book and where might we get it, Margaret? It's called The Three Day Weekend and uh, the website is the three hyphen day weekend dot ie and if you it's just it's our own website you could go on there and and uh, certainly order it and we'd send you out a copy we'd be delighted to send anybody out a copy and you know what next week we might even send you down one a couple of copies and you can throw them out to people if you want and um, to sort of keep the conversation going it's good you'll have had such a lovely time off on friday <laughs> it's good good to speak with you thank you very much margaret cox of ice group major recruitment company they were one of the first in the country to go a four-day week full-time. It's happening. It's happening around us. I really do think it might we might be the last industry to do it. But you'd never know. I think we'd be nice, wouldn't it? Would you? Now, there's a thing. So you're going, you're going four days a week, okay? Let's just imagine, click, your boss says, you're going four days a week. You're not going to lose any money, Okay. Um, you're going to get paid in full, but instead of working nine to five, you go to work maybe half eight until six from Monday to Thursday, and you're off on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Or would you prefer to be off Monday and work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Just for the crack. Just for the crack of it. Which would you prefer? Which would you prefer? Would you prefer to work Monday to Friday, sorry, Monday to Thursday and be off on Friday, or Tuesday to Friday and be off on a Monday. Which would you prefer? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Do you think you work in any industry where it just would not happen? I do remember that conversation like it was only yesterday from this chap who'd been working construction in Boston. He emigrated from Ireland and was working construction in, in the UK or the US rather, I think he was a carpenter actually. And he got a job with a firm in Boston, great work, great pay, great prospects. He went, he got himself his full card and everything. He was regular, as they say, and legal in the States. But he said that they went four days a week and where it was brilliant, he said, was in the summertime because the summers in Boston are just fabulous. So you worked like a dog for four days and then you were off for a three-day weekend. And they said, it's the way forward. And it is for a lot of people now. 0818969696, which would you prefer? Would you prefer to go Monday to Thursday and have Friday off or Tuesday to Friday and have Monday off? And any Saturday you choose, you can listen to Premier League Live. It's back this weekend with Trevor Welsh. See what he did there. Did there. Uh, Saturday from three, powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage this weekend of Southampton versus Spurs. That's at three. Chelsea against Everton at 5.30. Excuse me. Premier League Live online is with Harvey Norman. You're home of the big screen. 
You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Just to clear some correspondence and comments before we head up to 11. Getting back to housing, talking to Michael O'Flynn about what's holding up housing from a developer's point of view. One is constant objections. The other is a lack of tradespeople. And he said with regard to the government trying to solve the housing crisis, there isn't really a strategy that can be made to work. And then we played you back, I won't do it again now, but you played, played you back the audio from the Doyle last week where Michal Martin laid down the numbers in front of Pierce Doherty. And Pierce Doherty came back with the argument, the question that nobody is answering. Nobody is answering the question with regard to the eviction ban. Nobody's questioning the figures that the punished put before the House. Those are figures that can all be verified. So we're not saying he's not accurate in his figures. But where are all the people going to go when the eviction ban is lifted at the end of the month? Where are they supposed to go? And nobody's answering that question. PJ, it was Fine Gael that caused the housing problem in the first place. Now you have Michal Martin defending Fine Gael. I think it's a lack of respect for the Irish people. Paul says Sinn Féin can rightfully ask where people are to go, but Sinn Féin can also ref- do also refuse to back most planning applications. That's Paul's view. Mick Nugent, in relation to the housing on Kilmore Road, oh yes, Councillor Mick Nugent, this came up in a previous query, why are they unfinished? That's part of the City Northwest Regeneration Scheme, says Councillor Nugent. The delay is regrettable and frustrating. Uh, we're all in contact with the City Council on this matter. We're assured of progress soon in completing the scheme. That's from Councillor McNugent. It doesn't explain what the delay is, Mick, but, but thank you, just acknowledging that it's there. With regard to the shortage of trades, which is a huge problem, Back to what Michael O'Flynn said, the current targets of maybe 30,000, 40,000 houses per year, it's hard to get to that level as it is. But with the government talking about building nearly double that eventually, we need nearly double that. Where are people going to come from to do that work? Bernie says, I think the government's done a great job in making technology a favoured career choice for young people, but have done a terrible job at the same time of promoting trades. My nephew can't get an apprenticeship or can't get apprentices for his business. He's crying out for them. The government have a blind spot with this. Wasn't it Ken, the electrician we talked to about apprenticeships recently and how hard it was to get young lads to do and to take up an apprenticeship? Let us come back to, I'm just clearing correspondence here, on the protests. We started with this this morning with Joe Shea and Councillor Clet Finn, the protests in the library, uh, tearing up of LGBTQ plus books and shouting and roaring at library staff and filming them and calling them paedophiles and all that kind of thing. Kate says, Morning PJ, my sister was in the library on one of the days when the protesters were in there. She said it was frightening the way they were shouting at the staff. So disrespectful. But she said the staff were excellent and very good in the way they handled it. It's not their job to do that. So sorry, I can't come on here to talk about it. But she was there. Another case, oh my goodness, are we living in a day and age now when security, oh for goodness sake, this is crazy, says Kate. Didn't Hitler burn books, says Calvin. As a nation, we're not these people. I'm sick of all this hatred and politicising what one small group 
It's not how a nation thinks. And it's vandalism, says this message. They're breaking the law. The guards need to get more involved with this abuse of people. And there have been no arrests, even though Gardaí were called. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. turned down playing King Charles' coronation along with a growing line of stars this is my theory on this right yeah. is that people are not going to play King Charles' coronation because they're taking Harry and Meghan's side in the whole thing of course they're all going to want to be virtue signalling there's going to be nobody left the Wolfstones <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello could you sing the, the, the song Black and Tans it's about a sunbed it's a tanning shop isn't it? <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning you can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Exclusively Skoda in the City. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Lots to do. Uh, I'm not here tomorrow. Paul is sitting in for the day. So be nice now, you lot. He's all right, really, as old Mr. Bourne. Young Mr. Bourne. He's here tomorrow. Um, but I need to clear a lot of stuff before I get out the back, or out the gap, rather, for, for a lengthy Paddy's weekend. I want to come back to a few things, starting with that handbook that we talked about earlier on, this being the handbook from Bright Horizons, an enormous international nursery chain. Into their handbook, they put advices like parents shouldn't tell their daughter that they're pretty. It says, and I'm quoting here from a newspaper article, it's so easy to fall into a pattern of praising a girl's appearance, uh, labelling her behaviour as good, or congratulating her when she does something perfectly. They urge them, urge parents to reflect on how they raise their daughters. That's just one element of it. They caution parents against overpraising good behaviour. They also describe, excuse me, describe girls in the handbook. Indeed, they don't like you talking about girls or boys, children who identify as female, children who identify as male. We spoke to Elaine Dunn the Child Care Federation here. She said none of their members are doing this and she's serving them at the moment. Um, she thought that the contents of that handbook were overstepping the mark a little bit. Mind you, we now have a... Do we not have a situation in this country where we have a TD referring to his child as an it? I read it yesterday and I thought, my God almighty, where are we going? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Taryn... Morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Uh, you've two, you've two lads, and yes, um, you're just letting them do it as they want to do it. Yes, I mean they're still boys, and I call them boys. Yeah. But you know, if if he wants to dress up as a princess 
you know, he's he's in a costume. It's not. I'm not saying to him, you're a girl and you'll be a girl. And he's not coming to me, mommy, I'm a girl. He's just, I'm dressing up as Belle, for example. Yeah. Um, my kids are obsessed with Toy Story. Yeah. And the older one loves to be Woody or Buzz. And so the younger one just took to, I'll be Jesse because, well, Mitchell's not going to take Jesse. So <laughs> he dress, he puts the little dress on and he loves it. He parades around his dress, as Jesse. And <clears throat> he takes it off and he's just Caden again. Mm. Um, he like he he'll play with my makeup, and I think that's more more than anything. I think it's just a phase of just being a child and wanting to play with these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you probably make an atrocious mess of mummy's makeup, <laughs> but hey. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he equally, you say, does rough and tumble boy stuff too. Oh yes, hundred percent. He he gets down and dirty, and you know, I mean. They're a little bit little to completely play rugby and things like that. But dad was a rugby player, so, you know, they'll get into it. But they kick the ball around and they go outside and they play dirty and, you know, they try wrestle and the things that mommy's heart sinks when she sees because, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to take you to the hospital or something. But <laughs> There you go. Yeah. What, what do you make of parents' handbooks like the one I'm quoting from where parents shouldn't tell their daughters that they're pretty. Uh, con- it cautions against overpraising behaviour and it describes girls, and bearing in mind these are nursery age children, describing girls as children who identify as female. Do you feel about her? No, I mean, I, I, if I had a daughter, she would be called pretty all the time. I mean, I, I tell my boys they, they're handsome and I also tell them they're pretty. It's a word that's, that makes them feel good about themselves. Yes, yes. Um, I, I don't see why you should be like, shouldn't say to your daughter, oh, you're so pretty. I mean, tell her she's pretty. Yes. It'll make her feel so good about herself. And that's the thing, Taryn. You're the first person to use those words, and, and I think they're very important, to make them feel good about themselves. You know, that's yes. our, isn't that our job as mums and dads? Oh, 100%. And as any child carer, so that's in their nursery environment too, or if you're a childminder, you're there to make that child feel good about themselves. Uh, and you, you, by taking away words that are going to make them feel good about themselves, how's that child going to feel about their day? I mean, they come in wearing a dress and they want you to say, oh, darling, you look so pretty and you won't use that word. They, they, that whole day is going to be smashed for them and it seems so small to an adult, but to a three-year-old, that's such a big thing. Mm. Also... There's a reality that they learn when they're really tiny. And I only realized this when I had children of my own. You know, the world, Taryn, is a big and horrible place. And they're going to meet people who are going to push them back, take them down, be nasty to them. They they always need to have the safety of home where they'll be made to feel good about themselves. No, they 100% do. And the fact is, that you only have that job for such a short time. I mean, 18 years may sound like a lot, but in the older years, it's not as quite coddling. But in those small years, that job is so short. Mm. Make sure they feel safe. Make sure they feel good about themselves. If your daughter wants to be a construction worker and still be told that she looks pretty, do it. Yeah. If your son wants to wear a little belt costume for Halloween and be told he looks pretty because he's four or five and he loves Beauty and the Beast, let him do it. 
and tell him how good he looks. He will feel so so good about himself. Now, here's my only tiny concern, and this is one parent to another question here. So, your boy wants to be the princess from Frozen at the birthday party, and you're saying you look fabulous, and he does. He goes to the birthday party, and he meets with some cruelty. How do you deal with that? How do you teach him to deal with that? Well, the reality is I always have concerns about cruelty. Um, I think you yourself know my older son has autism, so I always have that that worry myself. Um, I'm very fortunate that both of my kids are in classes with very nice children, um, but I always have that worry. So I'm always on guard anyway. Yeah, um, sometimes very nice children don't have very nice parents. You know what I mean? Yes, here? yes. Children so I'm, I'm don't see a difference, Taryn, they learn it. Exactly. And the, the thing is, as a parent, whether your child dresses as a gender-specific character or not, you should always be on guard. Okay. And if your child comes running to you because someone was mean because he's dressed as a princess, you cuddle him and you tell him he looks fabulous and to not take their words and strut their stuff. <laughs> that, that's what I would do. Um, yeah. But like I said, I am always on guard because yeah. because of my son having autism. And yeah. when I was younger and I thought about having kids, my biggest fear was that my kids would turn into a bully. I mean, not because I'd raised him that way, but because I was bullied and I didn't want my children to put that onto someone else. Yeah. Then I had my kids and I found out that my son has autism and my fear completely switched. Yeah. Because yeah. I know how cruel the world can be. And yeah. we have had some experiences, but I must say the school that he's at and the class that he's in has the most amazing children in his class. That's great. That's and great. I, I cannot praise the kids in his class enough. Every time there's a birthday party and the whole class gets invited and we go there and they all flock to him to say hello and my heart just beams. I want to sob because I'm just so... Yeah relieved yeah it's, so, it's it's a wonderful thing to see taryn we're going off point a little bit here now but yes, you're a little bit. <laughs> we're, 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 we have a commonality here it's a wonderful thing to see how children react to a child that has a difference they don't see the difference no unless it's shown to them by an adult that that's it and yeah. then they learn how to react Brilliant. Taryn, thank you very much for that great call. I know we went to different places, but that's the nature of a conversation. To the four-day week, we returned there. I asked you which you'd prefer. Eugene's got a great idea, Eugene, which I never thought of. I'll come to it in a while. Tracy would prefer to be off Monday, work Tuesday to Friday. Phil would work Monday to Thursday, Tuesday to Friday for Calvin. And Dave wants to be Monday off and work Tuesday to Friday. Eugene has a great idea, though, and Eric says it just can't possibly work. D, your son, is it, has been working four days for a couple of weeks, a couple has. of years now. Yeah, he has, and it suits him down to the ground. What does he do? He's, a, he's in computers, okay. he's a computer engineer, and okay. he said when he was working Monday to Friday, he could never get the bank stuff done or other places that are not open at the weekend. Yeah. Whereas this suits him now because he does Sunday to Wednesday. And he's off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and he's able to get all his stuff done. Sunday to Wednesday, that's an unusual combination. (laughs) He was given all combinations, and that's the one he chose. 
Yeah. And he's, he does an extra couple of hours each day to make up for the day. Yeah, yeah. And it, it works out brilliantly. And at the back end of the week, when the rest of us are struggling to get to Friday, he's sitting there going, my Friday was my day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think it would be brilliant. If it suits people, I think it would work brilliantly. Yeah, there are there are jobs where it'll be harder to do it than others. But if yes, you're, if you're to listen to the experts, like you know, like like Margaret, there's no yeah. job, there's no workplace where it's impossible. Mm. You know, well, you couldn't do it in a hospital, could you? <laughs> I say you can because a lot yeah, a, a lot of hospital workers work twelve hour shifts and work a four day week. So I know, do you know, I know. My daughter in law does twenty four hours. Oh, I know. Well, let's not go there. Let's oh, not do Gee, thanks. Thanks a lot. Sunday to Wednesday is an unusual one. No one has asked about that. I like it though. Sunday to Wednesday, or you could do Saturday, Saturday to Tuesday. You know, or you could do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then be off Monday, Tuesday. You can kind of any four days you want. Eugene's idea though is a humdinger. I will come to it. Eric says I prepare ready meals with fresh bread and fresh meat. I get fresh deliveries every day and I use it on the day we're operating. It's impossible to just suddenly scale up and start taking on a second shift or whatever I'm supposed to do. Already when we're busy, I work seven days. I wouldn't be doing that if I could just pick up a drop staff. My brother's a farmer. He can't milk cows and not do it on one day. This conversation is very unreal because it might suit very large businesses, but most places can't do this at all. Which, that's your experience, Eric. Margaret, who, who wrote the book about it, a book called Three Day Weekend, and her colleague, Phelan, they wrote a book about it. They brought it into their business in 2019. They've become the go-to experts on it. And their argument would be, take a look at any business, and it can be done in pretty much any business. 0818 96, 96, 96. Eugene's idea. I love this. I really do love this. When four-day weeks are discussed, there's a third option that's never mentioned. We might would be my preferred one. Two days on, one day off, two days on, two days off. That way, you're never more than two days from break. And I think that's the way. That's, that's cool. So you work, what is it, Monday, Tuesday, off on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, off Saturday, Sunday, or you could work more. Yeah, I like that. And maybe rotate it or would it be the same days every week? Work it that way. A long time ago in the newspaper world, there was a thing called the nine-day fortnight. I don't know if it still applies to the newspapers. I never worked in major newspapers, but I know lots of people who did. And there was a thing called the nine-day fortnight. And it was exactly that. You work nine, It could be nine days straight, it could be five days and four days. It could be four, you know, four and a half and four and a half. But you had a nine-day fortnight, so you had five days off in the two weeks. And people liked it, liked it a lot. You, you had one weekend. I think in the course of that fortnight, you had to do one weekend. But it was a nine-day fortnight. At one point here, we, we had a shift to the newsroom that every couple of weeks we did 12 days. Long time ago, long time ago. 0818 96 96 96. Your four days of the week, what would you like to do? Would you have the Thursday off, sorry, the Friday off or the Monday off? Or would you do what D's son does and work Sunday to Wednesday? Which is another option. Or Eugene's at, which four days would suit you? 
0818 96 96 96 Join the conversation This is the Opinion Line With the Cork City Marathon Take on your next challenge this June By running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM Coming up in just a sec Insurance is threatening yet another popular pursuit of ours. Remember a couple of years ago it was um, childhood play centres. The insurance companies gave them uh, hell to pay for, for a year or two. I think that got sorted out in the end. Now there's another one in, in West Cork. I'll come to it. But just coming back to some other stuff from earlier on and coming back to the Bright Horizons handbook and the instructions in it for parents and the preference that girls will be described as children who identify as female and boys children who identify as male and all of that and then the idea that you know, parents shouldn't tell their daughters they're pretty or cautions parents against overpraising good behaviour we've had a number of different parents on the line one of the suggestions was well maybe this was written by people who don't have children and I weighed in behind that and I said Look, until such time as you have a child, perhaps you shouldn't be writing handbooks like this. And I stand over that. And I have friends who don't have children. I have friends who can't have children. And I am conscious of the fact that that might be a little hurtful for them too. But I still feel it deep inside myself. Caller says, I'm a single person. I don't like it when people say we can't have an opinion or a fully developed one on how to bring up children. We were all children once and we have opinions on how we were brought up and how our brothers and sisters were brought up. Very true, Caller. You're 100% correct. And I was that person. I was, what, 30-something when my children came into the world. And I had been, obviously, I'd been a child, I'd been a teenager, I'd been a young man. My wife had been a child, she'd been a teenager, she'd been a, a young woman. Um, but yet, here were these two creatures, um, and I had no idea where to start. Not a flipping notion where to start. But again, on the gender thing in that handbook... Hi, PJ. Everything has an age limit as to when the law thinks a child is ready to make decisions. Drinking, driving, sex, medical decisions. There's even the recommended age for a film. Why do we now believe a child can make decisions like, I think I'm in the wrong body? I completely agree that they can be. But then for the few that are, should their parents advocate for them and make the decisions? Instead of changing the way parents parent, they should just give everyone the real knowledge and the tools to help this if their child should come up. 0818 96 96 96. I don't know if you've ever seen them. If you have, they're wonderful to look at. I was down in Clonakilty one day, just driving through Clon on a summer's afternoon, as you do. And along comes one of the Chevals. It's basically a horse ride. A load of horse and traps going through the various towns. No point in telling you how they're structured, it's just a trap and horses and it's a lovely thing to see and there's a, a big chain of them around West Cork and they are horse and trap drivers and they raise money for good causes. They raise rather a lot of money for good causes going around their various routes on their various days in the year. Enter the insurance man and the whole thing would appear to be kaput 
2023 at least. Now, it has been raised or is about to be raised in the Doyle, but the insurance company has come in and made a change in the rules that threatens the future of the West Cork Cheval Rides. Pat O'Driscoll from Cheval Rides joins me. Pat, as, as a townie, all I know is that when I see one, they're lovely to see and they really are nice, particularly on a summer's day and the clip-clop and the wheels and I know they raise loads of money and all that. But Pat, tell me a bit more about Cheval Rides in Cork in particular. Morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, all this started with us about 2008. West Cork Chevelles was set up uh, 2008, 2009. Mm. Started give some sort of insurance cover for these rides because before that it was just people going for a spin. Now it was set up for like like-minded people with with horses who not competition horses or show horses, but people who still like having their horse. So somewhere to go on a Sunday, something to do a day out for a spin with their friends. Yeah. And then it was like paying 20 euros a head for the insurance. But then it was discovered that there was there was a surplus of money there. So what will we do with the money? So we'll give it to charity. And then it started to grow from there. Then a lot of the towns and villages around the area started running them, seeing an opportunity to make a few quid for the charities. Yes. So like we've helped people like Coaction in Able Ireland, um, the Cardiac Unit in CUH, West Cork uh, Underwater Search and Rescue is sort of our favourite one here. Mm. Crumlin Children's Hospital, um, a lot of local charities and schools and different things have, have gained from this. Great causes. Yeah, on, on average, we raise about 20,000 a year for charity, you know? Wow. wow. So it, it's a, a good thing, like. Now, I'm looking at a picture in the Southern Star of a little vehicle, for want of a better word, forgive me, I'm a townie, a little, yeah. a little vehicle that has clearly space for two or three people in it. Clearly. Um, so what has, yes. what has become the problem now? And the problem now is that the insurance underwriters who are based in Brussels have decided that it's not safe to carry a passenger in any of these little vehicles, as you call them. And um, there's nothing we can do about it. It's just that's the insurance and it's kind of out of our control, out of the committee's control. When when did they make that decision and, and what did they base it on or do you know? They introduced it this year. I suppose some actuary who never handled the horse in their life, decided it was unsafe and um, just introduced it. I mean, in, in other countries, it's compulsory to, to take somebody with you because if the horse starts misbehaving, the other person jumps out and, and takes control. Yeah, I see. But apparently not in Ireland. So the implications of, of not being able to get it insured for a passenger, what are they? The guys driving the traps don't feel safe on their own. They don't want to do it on their own. They've always carried a passenger for company, if nothing else, and mm. take their grandchildren with them. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of a family day out for a lot of people. Yes. But, I mean, that's all stopped now. So you have these lads all in a line of traps on their own. Up the front, you have the saddle horses, but the people on the saddle horses all chat to each other because they're all side by side, sort of, you know. Then you have a line of these lonesome traps at the back of the traps, which is kind of... Not much fun, really. So a lot of them have kind of decided they won't do it anymore, you know? Right. Which is not a shame. And you say, as someone experienced in doing this, it's actually safer to have somebody with you? Oh, definitely. It would be safer to have somebody with you, yeah. If you're on your own, you're sitting in your your carriage and you have the reins in your hand, Mm -hmm. 
But if the horse starts misbehaving or he won't stand still for you at the beginning, the person with you would hold the horse, would get out and hold the horse by I the see. head. I see. And the horse would stand in, you know? I see. Whereas if you're on your own, you have to try and jump out, run ahead, hold the horse, then jump back into the carriage again when it's moving, which is not really ideal, no. you know? No, it's not. So this one underwriter who has decided not to insure more than one person. Is there another underwriter? Is there any competition in the market? No, no. No, no. We're, there's, no there's no competition. There's only one company in the UK who will actually insure us. That's a company called TUE. Right. And nobody else will take it on, so we don't have any choice. And when you say nobody else would take it on, like I take it that you've looked around, or have you a broker? Yeah, yeah, we, we have a broker, Sweeney Walsh and Associates in Clonmel. I see. And Brendan and myself gave a half a day at this, ringing, emailing, trying everything, and it's not going to change this year. Having said that, next year they could have a different version of events. That seems to be, there's no consistency with it, oh. you know? So it's this year's underwriter isn't interested yeah, absolutely. They think it's unsafe, so... It's an awful pity. You have your local TD, Christopher O'Sullivan, raising it at national level. Do you think that'll do any good? To be quite honest, um, I hope it does, but I, his his uncle, Martin, is a man who will be out every Sunday, and he's very unhappy with it. He won't do it anymore. He says on his own. He likes to take his buddy with him. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a nice day out for people, too, when it's kind of a social event and stuff, and... It's a pity to see these guys giving it up, you know. Yes, yes. And it's a little spectacle too for the public and it's an attraction that will be, like you say, yeah. a, an attraction that will be effectively closed down by someone who's possibly never seen the trap. I would imagine it, it's somebody in an office who doesn't actually do this in Belgium, <laughs> to be quite honest, and just feels it's unsafe without really knowing a whole pile more about it. And is that it then for 2023? They just won't happen or they'll happen with anyone who's willing to do it on their own? They will happen with the saddle horses and anybody who wants to go on their own in their trap. But there will be no passengers this year, but definitely. And we have to have the lads driving the traps signing a disclaimer saying that they are fully aware that they're not allowed to carry a passenger. Mm. So, I mean... I don't know where we go from here. You can't see a long queue of fellas doing that. No, no, no. I mean, I, I spoke to all. I phoned around most of the lads who do the carriage driving. Uh, when this came in, I phoned around them all just to say, look, lads, this is what's happening. I can't do anything with it. And the most of them said, well, more or less, we won't bother. So because there's a few lads who still do it, but a lot of them said, nah, it's no fun anymore. It's got, you know, mm. general consensus was that insurance has ruined everything in Ireland anyway so it's just another thing Yeah, a few years ago it was the kids play centres, now it's your turn yeah. it always seems to be something else and there is a junior minister I think it's June, there is a junior minister responsible for overseeing insurance would you be appealing to that minister even now? Well I think that's what Christopher's angle is that he's trying to work on that end of things hmm. but um we can just hope, wait and hope that he does something, that he can do something. But uh, personally, from the response we got from, from uh, the UK and from Brussels, it's just no. And that's it. Like It's most unfortunate. Pat, I hope something comes good for you. And thanks for talking to me today. Okay, thank you, PJ. Isn't it? Thanks, thanks, Pat. Isn't it just a shame? Something like that that goes on for years and bothers nobody and... 
they look after the safety themselves. And then just because, as he said, probably someone sitting in an underwriter's office in Brussels who has no idea what this is about has said, oh God, no, can't have that. Can't have that at all. It's a pity. We have a junior minister in charge of insurance matters. Off the top of my head, I can't think who it is just now. But you kind of wonder what political push, if any, you have. If an underwriter in Brussels just said, no, 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 not happening. It's a pity. 0818 96 96 96. Around Cork when it was a hit on housing. And we're talking earlier with Michael O'Flynn on the housing situation and how it might be solved. And Michael was pointing to many things that are just too big to get over as he sees it at the moment. Tom says Micheál Martin accusing Sinn Féin of playing politics with the eviction ban. So what does he think he's doing himself? Well, Tom, that's exactly what Michael O'Flynn was saying. They're all playing politics. It's a political football between them all. And Could they not just get together as a group of different people of different political persuasions and stop squabbling and stop, stop arguing and stop trying to score points off one another and just try and solve the blasted problem because that's what we pay them hugely for. They're not Michael's words and mine. Now, we were talking yesterday to Jennifer uh, about her son and it was in the context of the passing away at the weekend, sudden passing of Father Cannon, uh, Mick Murphy over in Ballyfihan and she told a lovely story about how her young lad wasn't baptised and then went to school and then announced that he wanted to celebrate his Holy Communion and, well, Jen had sort of said, had made no plans for this, as it were, so she wanted to find out how he'd go about it. She had to be christened. Father Mick christened him and it was, it was a lovely thing. And he'd having his communion and all that. But something came up about a Cork woman organising events for children who are not making their communion. And somewhere in the recesses of my mind I remembered someone doing that that they were for children who weren't making their communion in May they had another party am I good to go to Kaz yet lads I couldn't for the living life of me remember who it was but I knew there was someone doing it that for children who aren't necessarily having their communion that they just organise an event for them so they don't miss out on a party or a day out or anything like that. Okay, we'll hear a break and we'll talk then. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. So there is someone who organises non-communion parties. I was right. Kaz. Hiya PJ, how, how are you? It's you're doing this for a little while. How did it start and why? You make me sound very uh, professional altogether. I'm just a mum. What happened was um, my nieces are have all made communion and we actually have confirmation for one of them in two weeks' time. Right. Um, but my kids don't, um, they don't affiliate with the Catholic Church, basically. Um, they're taught about lots of different types of religions in their school. Um, but they're not taught dogma as such, right? Um, and they'd have their own beliefs on 
like we would have a lot of LGBTQ people in our circle and in our family. Um, I was heavily involved in repealing the eighth in canvassing for that. Um, so there are certain things that are in the Catholic dogma that the girls don't agree with. And they just said, look, we don't want to be in the Catholic church anymore. And I said, that's fine. You know, you can make your own decision as you're getting older, find out whatever you want to find out, but all the different religions and mm. you make your decision from there. But in the meantime, my eldest was saying, well, I kind of want to make my communion because it looks like mad crack because the cousins are getting like loads of presents, like loads of money. <laughs> They're having a party. Like it's, it's like, and all of their friends, it seemed to be, um, now I can say it seemed to be, I don't know for a fact that it was, but it seems like a lot of their peers were going down the communion route solely for the party, solely for the money that they were going to make and solely for getting the fancy guna and all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, they were kind of saying, look, we feel a bit like we're missing out on that. And I said, well, why don't we just have a party and why don't we just buy you a fancy dress and why don't we just celebrate you for being who you are? And they were like, oh, can we do that? And I was like, I'm sure we can. Let me look into it and let me figure something out. So I went online and I was looking it up and I found something called My Little Big Day. So this didn't start with me. I don't... I can't propose or that I'm, you know, the founder of this amazing thing or anything. This started off in Dublin, as far as I remember. Um, it's mylittlebigday.com. They have a Facebook page called My Little Big Day. And it's basically for parents who are either, or for families rather, who either don't subscribe to the Catholic religion, don't subscribe to any religion, or who are of another faith, but want to have a special day as well. Right. So it's not to exclude anybody. It's not anti-church. It's nothing like that. Mm. Um, like we would have Muslim kids involved. We would have Hindu kids involved. You know, um, it's basically and also we always hold the ceremonies on a Sunday so that kids who are doing confirmation or who are doing communion can still come in on our ceremony with us. So right. it's 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 basically just to. I kind of think the world needs a bit more acceptance and a bit more, this is where you are. I'm going to meet you there and accept you for who you are. And that's kind of the whole aim of this is to be mm. inclusive of everybody. But is it not the thing, Kaz, and I'll bring this up more detail, maybe with Tony in a second, but is it not the thing that, look, the communion is part mm -hmm. of growing up. If yeah. you don't take part in communion when you grow up and that's your right and your parents right if you don't mm -hmm. take part in the event why would mm -hmm. you want a party to celebrate an event you haven't had so but but that's not the point of it so uh, yeah i can understand i can understand why you'd see it that way but that's not the point of it so the point of of communion um is you know you're accepting um you're accepting communion you're accepting this um I'm trying to think of the word sacrament. Yeah, okay. You're accepting the sacrament as part of your faith. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing for you and for your family. And that's something that you really believe in. And so great. We hope you have the best time ever and off with you. Have a fantastic time. What we're celebrating is the kids themselves. It's kind of like a coming of age. So from kind of between the ages of seven and nine, which traditionally have been kind of an age of coming into wisdom for children where they're kind of coming more into like this is who I am I'm beginning to understand my place in the world I'm beginning to understand my responsibility as a global citizen it's more a self-awareness around that age right. and so we make it a milestone ceremony a coming of age ceremony where we're celebrating you as a child mm -hmm. and the kids then design their own ceremony they meet with the celebrant so we use um, a humanist celebrant who's a lady called Jer. Um, she's been very, very good to us. Um, she meets with the kids. We have a workshop. Um, so our workshop is planned for the 29th of 
April this year, if anybody else wants to join us, they're more than yeah. welcome. The kids will design their own. They, they'll say, this is what we want the ceremony to look like. This is how we want to participate. We'd like our parents to participate in doing this. This is the music we'll have. Um, we might perform. We might read um, a mm. poem. We might sing a song. And it's all about the kids. Is it a bit like so, maybe a quinceanera party or a Sweet 16 party, just because you happen to be 16, just because you happen to be of that age? Is that what it is, or is it something? I, I, I'm not like I'm not like my familiarity now with quinceañeras and sweet sixteens will be from American movies. Yeah. Um. So I wouldn't like to me they always kind of seem like oh let's throw a party because you're this age and let's throw loads of money in here you have a car. So <laughs> that, that's so not yeah. what we're. No burger and chips would be all right, like but not a car. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like ours is a not for profit as well. So right. unions yeah. can can cost a fortune and they don't have to. It all depends on the family. But our thing is, it's strictly not-for-profit. It's simply, um, we're recognising you as you're coming into your own as a person. I I think for me, maybe this is because this is the way that my mind tends to go. I would be very much interested in like tribes of Africa and that kind of thing and how they would have coming-of-age ceremonies and that kind of thing. You have a very holistic Um, view of life, Kaz, from talking to you. You, you, Everyone is is under your one roof. Stay there. Let me bring in Tony O'Donoghue, who's who's helping you with this uh, thing. You are the founder, aren't you, Tony, of My Little Big Day? And we may have spoken before, I believe. We, I think we did indeed, PJ. And just uh, it's actually myself and uh, my wife Sharon uh, were the kind of co-coordinators. And uh, just like to say hello to Kaz. It's my first time hearing her voice because we've been in in touch with each other many times online. Okay. Let me just put to you the question I put to Kaz about. You know, p- p- parents of communion kids, shall we say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the communion is a huge part of a child's life when they reach eight or seven or eight or whatever age they do it now. Yeah. But it's kind of like being in a club and you celebrate that occasion with the club. But if you're not a communion kid, you're not in the club. Is oh, that I an unfair... That. Comments. Well, you see, you see, all children, well, almost all children around that age, um, reach what's called the age of, age of reason, in other words, knowing right from wrong. And that's the particular sacrament that's celebrated um, within the Catholic Church. So, for it, you know, you know, if you do wrong, you go and you do your first confession as part of the sacrament. But, but um, we're raising our kids in a different way. And just for the particular ceremony that we have, um, what we were saying to parents is, you know, what we look at the ceremony is, you know, we're raising our kids that, you know, you know right from wrong now. So it's the same. You've reached the age of reason. And, if, you know, try to be your best self. And if you do right from wrong, if you drop the, or if you drop the ball and do something wrong, try and put it right yourself. And, you know, it's kind of saying you're responsible for yourself and for so try to be a good person and if you're not you know try to pull it right in the best way possible to be a good friend and so i mean that's the kind of difference but i mean all children are in that you know all children reach the age of reason about the same age okay. same age it's not it's not exclusive to the catholic faith and like i said it's just we're, we're kind of we're, we're not part of the catholic faith you okay. know what I mean? Okay. And like Kaz said as well, um, it, there is, it, you know, all the, the kids are in the classroom and there's excitement about the parties and excitement about how much you're getting and what you're going to buy with your money and all that. And we didn't want their son to be excluded from that just because we took the decision to withdraw from the Catholic Church. And there's really no reason. How many know? parents are involved in the Dublin end of it now? Um, well, the Dublin end, um, the in-person ceremonies that we had now, uh, um, we couldn't do it over um, the lockdown, obviously. Um, we would have had um, 12 children, oh, sorry, um, 14, 
12, 12 to 14 children taking part, so it could be between 10 and 12 families because we might have a set of twins right. and so on. But we keep it purposely small, and the reason we do that is so the child can be celebrated during the ceremony, they can do a little piece, they can read okay. a poem or play a piece of music, oh, you know, see. to keep it personal and keep okay. it all about them. And and is there an increasing number? I mean, this came to mind <clears> now through talking to Jen yesterday. Are there an increasing number of parents, as it were, opting out, or their children opting out? Oh, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Now, there's movement, um, there's movement here with the Archdiocese of Dublin to bring the faith formation outside of the school day, you know. So it's not, you know, there isn't going to be as much pressure on parents that, you know, it's happening within the, within the classroom during kind of school time. But there's an increasing number of parents on, the se- I know the census from last year, the results are due out, I think, next month. And we'll see then, um, you know, really how many families are no longer identifying as practicing Catholics within yeah. within Ireland, you know. But so, definitely there is, there is a passion for it. Okay. And, you know, it's it's such a wonderful day as well. I mean, uh, Kaz mentioned the website there. You can see what we're about and you can see the kind of, you know, the, the, we celebrate the individuality and the uniqueness of each child. And it's a, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Okay. You just have to look at the pictures to know what we're, you know. So Kaz, you and Tony are working together to plan an event. So when when is it on? So our one is on the 14th of May. Um, so what we do is um, the the school has been kind enough to rent us the hall. We have quite a large school hall. Um, it can be divided into two sections. So we use the top section for the ceremony. <clears throat> and then we open up the second section, which has access to a servery. And we have our party then there afterwards. So okay. parents bring along food. We cater in a little bit as well. Um and we have a nice party there. And then if you want to go on and you want to do your communion type celebration in a hotel or in a venue afterwards, you absolutely can. Okay. But if you don't, then at least your kid is still having a party. Okay. There's going to be fun. There's going to be celebration. We're just very conscious of costs, especially so now. So it's not a divisional thing. So the kids who are making their communion are quite welcome to be there as well. 100%. Okay. 100%. I absolutely. I see. Yeah, I mean, I the whole... You. Like the, we, this has not, so I'm organizing this as a parent. This has nothing at all to do with our school, but uh, other than the fact that I'm renting the hall from them, the school has no involvement in it whatsoever. But I'm very lucky in that the school that we do go to is so inclusive and it's so embracing of everybody. And your difference is literally just, oh, that's what makes you unique. Therefore, you're a valued person, you know, and that's very much the, the, the kind of ethics that we are trying to raise our kids with that whatever your religion is whatever your religion is not be a good person just be a decent person be a good human treat the environment well treat people okay. well and that's kind of how we want to raise so where them. can people find out more Kaz I've only got about a minute left sure um, I'm happy for you guys to give out my number to anybody who wants to join us we still have a couple of slots available um, our workshop is on April 29th in Middleton Educate Together National School Hall but I would need to know um, in advance if people are coming and then our ceremony is going to be May 14th again in the Middleton Educate Together National School Hall Alright, if anybody would like to get involved in that we'll put them in touch and thanks to Kaz and thanks to Tony O'Donoghue from My Little Big Day uh, along with his wife who are helping Kaz to put this together It's a whole new concept on me but there's a lot of people opting out but there's a party for their kids too I think it's nice. I do. Programme edited by uh, Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. I'm not here tomorrow. Be nice to Paul Bourne or he'll turn on you. 
I'm only joking. And have a lovely St. Patrick's weekend. I'll talk to you Monday just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.